Section 17 of An American Vendetta. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Vicki VM. An American Vendetta A Story of Barbarism in the United States by T.C. Crawford. Chapter 11, Part 3. I will pass over the details of the struggle to wash in the iron skillet outside the door, and the attempt to eat something from the table bountifully supplied with fried pork, heavy bread, and corn pone, and return to the scene which took place in front of the fire an hour after the meal. Captain John, as he was called in the community, was a most gallant man. There were three topics dear to his heart and I named them in the order of their nearness and their dearness. First, military achievements and anecdotes of the war. Second, fair and lovely women. And third, horses, as he called them. He was enchanted with the honor of having such a guest seated in his house as this fair Vienna lady when he learned that she was the daughter of a soldier and of a great general his enthusiasm knew no bounds the captain regarded himself as one of the military geniuses of this age during the war he was the captain of a company called the logan county tigers in his opinion he maneuvered this company during the war with more actual skill and talent than was displayed by any officer in the army none of my men said he were ever killed when i was in command i never was a doggone fool enough to have my men stand up when there was any fighting going on i kept them close to the ground where every now and then one of them would get touched but none of them ever got killed it was he who once gave general lee free and frank advice how to conduct his campaign was sent to the guardhouse for two weeks to ruminate over the jealousy of great commanders who were incapable of receiving wisdom from subordinates it was during the recital of some of these reminiscences he chanced to mention the name of general steinmetz as one of those foreign officer chaps who came down through these mountains after the war was over he had not noted the name of mrs von bergen's father when she was first introduced to him it was an off chance that called up the reminiscence of this officer in the eccentric captain's mind mrs von bergen started at the mention of her father's name and said and did you know him yes said the captain he was a pretty decent sort of a man for a dutchman and i remember as acting as his guide going with him with a lot of these yankee fellows who were hunting up coal land the little dutch general bought a right smart lot of land but lord bless me he never came back and the last time i heard anything about it sam hatfield had jumped his land and was living on it i started at this for i knew sam hatfield to be one of the most desperate of a noted band of mountain outlaws they were men who decided all disputes with shotguns and whose most pointed arguments were made with bowie knives 
I explained in a few words to the captain the situation, that this lady was the daughter of General Steinmetz, and that she had come into this country to reclaim her father's land. All of the gallantry and the courage of the former captain of the Logan County Wildcats came to the surface at once. I am an old man, said he, and have kept out of these quarrels for a good many years. I have tried to steer clear of these year outlaws and let them settle all their quarrels among themselves. I came to the conclusion some years ago that the more they killed of each other, the better it was for the country, and so long as peaceable, law-abiding people could steer clear of them, why these killers should be allowed to go their own way. But I never yet have seen the time when I would desert the cause of any lady, and particularly when military genius is required for her protection and the securing of her rights. For you must know that Sam Hatfield is one of the most powerful of his crowd. He has killed at least a dozen men in his time. There is a big price now on his head. He goes about constantly armed. He has in his neighborhood and in his constant society half a dozen fellers as desperate and as wicked as he. He has taken this property and any attempt to put him out will be followed by a fight. Now, if you will let me plan this campaign against this year Hatfield, I think I will bring you through all right, although I have no company of Logan County Tigers at my back. The old man was grand in his air of benevolence and protection. As he stretched to its full height, his powerful figure bade us good night so as to prepare for an early start. Mrs. Von Bergen was given a bed in the loft of this great room, in company with the children and two old women, distant relatives of this bachelor captain, who lived with him to look after his place. I was given a bed in a kind of granary at one end of the house, where ghostly white flower bags and sacks of grain stared at me like ghosts until I fell asleep, worn out by fatigue. The next morning, the captain brought around a large bottle of white Mountain Dew whiskey in a huge tin cup and offered his guest half a pint as an eye-opener. He could not understand my refusal not comprehending how any human being could begin to grind out a daily existence without a preliminary of half a pint to a pint of nearly raw alcohol. After breakfast, about which the least said the better, the captain mounted a stout brown horse and followed us for an hour's drive, which was necessary to bring us into the straggling hamlet of Logan Courthouse. Much to my regret, I found that it was court week in this straggling little town made up of low-roof wooden houses, the majority of which were unpainted. The street swarmed with mountaineers, who had come down from the most distant neighborhoods for the excitement of meeting their neighbors and getting drunk with them during the meeting. There was also a general air of expectancy running through all the groups we saw in the streets. No court week had ever passed without its dozens of fights. The landlord of the little house where we stopped told me that the day before, 300 shots had been fired on the streets during a political discussion without any protest from the sheriff. This latter individual, the representative of law and order, had stood about with his hands in his pockets, laughing like a hyena. 
He said at the close of the shooting, he never had so much fun in his life. He never even remotely suggested the arresting of anybody, as that would have been regarded as interference with the freedom of the American citizens of this neighborhood, which would have been bitterly resented by everyone. I found that I could not obtain a private room for my companion at the hotel. The only room possible for her to have there was one which she would have been obliged to share with two mountain women who had come to Logan Courthouse hunting for their two husbands who had run away during previous court meeting and had not been heard of since. Fortunately, I found upon the porch of this beggarly little house a good-natured, rotund, Irish land speculator friend of mine from Virginia. His name was Dr. Palmer. He was a strong, swarthy-faced man, dressed in rough brown clothes, who took life exactly as he found it. It was his business there to buy the best land he could find for a great eastern syndicate. It was a matter of utmost indifference to him, whatever the inhabitants were pleased to do. They might rob, shoot, and kill as many as they pleased. His infernal Irish good nature never changed for one moment. He called everybody from the outlaws up, good fellows, and continued to buy his land right and left, and never expressed any opinion concerning local institutions. In this way, he became very successful. I said to him, You are the very man I want to see. As I explained to him the object of my mission, he listened very keenly when he heard that there was a prospect of buying good land. But when I told him where Captain John said the land was, he shook his head. He said, I like to buy land, but I don't like to buy rows. I don't say what my individual taste would be. There is no Irishman living who would ever run away from a fight, but I am buying land here for a lot of cold-blooded Yankee speculators who have no sentiment in them. They want something more substantial in return for their money than the glorious excitement of a ready-made fight. Now the man who buys that property you describe, and I confess it is a very good piece of land, with handsome coal indication, will purchase the liveliest fight that ever was bargained for in this land of scrimmages, jamborees, and endless shindies. In the first place, it is now held down by right of squatter sovereignty by one of the most desperate villains that a great and good God ever allowed to escape the halter. He is worse than any rattlesnake you ever saw. There is a band of vipers living with him. After you have scotched them, your fun is only begun. Every one of those wretches has a perfect swarm of relatives. Every one of these relatives has a Winchester rifle, four revolvers, two knives, and a bottle of whiskey. Upon the announcement of the death of any one of these vipers by violence, each and every one of the relatives will proceed to fulfill the solemn conditions of his clan by swallowing the bottle of whiskey and then starting out with his entire arsenal of arms to slay and destroy those who have laid hands upon his relatives. In the same way, if you can drive these wretches out without hurting them, they will come back with this crowd in the same way and shoot anyone who tries to hold the land against them. 
You have been in this country long enough now to know that the rule of the man of might is the only law recognized here. I buy only land about which there can be no dispute. And as I treat these fellows all well, and as I give them no idea that I am buying for Yankees, there is never any dispute about what I do. Captain John, who had come up during this conversation, had listened to the latter part of it with great attention. He never looked more like a soldier than he did at the close of the doctor's remarks. He stood very straight, with his slouch hat cocked in the most belligerent fashion over his right ear, and his flowing white mustache standing out in savage curls on either side of his hard-lined mouth. He looked at me for a moment with a very resolute air, then he dropped his left eye with a sly air and said, Now is the time for military strategy, and immediately disappeared down the street without a word of explanation. Thanks to the kindness of Dr. Palmer, an invitation was secured for Mrs. Von Bergen as a guest at the house of the leading merchant of the place. His house boasted of the oriental magnificence of a spare bedroom, and in this chamber Mrs. Von Bergen sat down to confer with the only lawyer of the place about the title deeds to her property. This lawyer, who belonged to a much better family than is ordinarily found in the mountains, received an education in Charleston. He was vastly superior to his surroundings, but a fatal lack of energy and a fondness for the whiskey of his native land kept him a humble resident at Logan Courthouse, when his abilities would have justified his becoming an important man in the state. With him, Mrs. Von Bergen visited the courthouse and soon found the record of the deed acquired by her father some twenty-odd years before. She was able to comply with the few formalities that were required. She then paid the small amount of taxes due for the last five years and received, during the course of the day, a new copy of the deed and full receipts for taxes. She was now in a position to sell. During court week, there were always land speculators in town. This court week proved no exception to the rule. There were at least six reputable purchasers at Logan Courthouse at the time of our visit. During the day, Dr. Palmer called upon her in company with the lawyer and represented to her the difficulty she would have in obtaining possession of the land. End of section 17. Recording by Vicki VM.